Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy Ezra here. Hope everybody's having a lovely Saturday evening. So I'm joined by a special guest here uh, tonight, and we're going to be discussing a range of issues. Uh, he has his own channel on YouTube. I'll go ahead and let him introduce himself. How's it going there, man? Uh, hey, my name is Pierce. Uh, the channel name is D Pierce SSC. Uh, follow, like, subscribe. Appreciate you guys. Uh, on with my boy Israel. Excited to answer whatever questions you may have that uh, our audience, your audience might be interested in um, about Yang, Tulsi, Bernie, the left, American politics in general, whatever you want to get into, bud. Yeah, quite a show we uh, find ourselves in. So Pierce, uh, I know that, you know, we, we, we both kind of started our campaigns following two kind of outsider candidates. Uh, for myself, I was much more of a fan of uh, Tulsi Gabbard, still am, still follow their campaign and, and uh, you know, am somewhat involved and I know you were very fond of Andrew Yang, you know, and at times, you know, uh, whenever you take that path, it's difficult to call out the candidate when he does wrong things. Right. I mean, I called out Tulsi Gabbard because I did not really like the vote that she casted for what I consider to be the new NAFTA, the NAFTA 2.0 bill. And so, you know, I, I got a little bit of flack for that. But why don't you you know, tell us a little bit about your journey in, in the whole politics game? So um, as cover for both of us, I'll just say that, you know, I encourage our audience to always believe in your ideas and not just follow cult of personality because the people that you idolize will eventually, like, let you down. You can't always depend on somebody to always, like, you know, uh, what would you say, represent your views 100%. Um, and, you know, the people that liked Bernie, Tulsi, Yang, Marion Williamson, Chomsky, we see that some of them stick with those people uh, through thick and thin, even as they endorse Joe Biden, that's a bit of a step too far. I'm not canceling anybody. I'm just pointing out, like, I don't like these kinds of positions. So, uh, yeah, when it comes to our journey, me having started off as a Andrew Yang, pro-Andrew Yang channel, and turning into what my channel is now, where it's mostly just me, my political views, um, and, you know, it follows, like, a leftist uh, bent, mostly, uh, I wouldn't say that America has a left, but I try to be a leftist, independent, um, alternative media channel. I also do some non-political stuff. And to reflect to you, uh, Israel, yeah, you might have uh, gone against Tulsi when she did something that you didn't like, but that's fine. It's just people, they, they turn this into like a religion, they turn this into a cult of personality, but at the end of the day, they don't stick for those ideas that are important. Like, do you, are you a Bernie Sanders fan, or do you fight for Medicare for all? Because I... You know, I, I like Medicare for all before I trust any person. I want to end the wars before I trust Tulsi 100% with my life. Um, I want America's economic situation to get better before I just can go ahead and say that everything Andrew Yang does is awesome. So I, I, that, that's what come, kind of where I come at it. Um, and yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, you know, it, it's definitely policy driven. But, you know, the, the thing that I would throw in there is that politicians serve as a vehicle, as a, uh, uh, a tool that could be used, right? Especially charismatic folks. I mean, there's no question Bernie Sanders really propelled a lot of the positions that the left, right? I know you kind of have some contention there as to whether America even has a left or not, but uh, just the American idea of the left, uh, a lot of what they represented. Um, so, uh, you know, I think this is an important thing, right? Where it's like these cult of personalities, believing in heroes, to a certain extent, they're representatives, right? They represent certain policies and ideas, certain districts, certain interests 
from all types of Americans, from every walk of life. So I, I do agree that we have to kind of separate that where it's like this is the, the, the individual versus the ideas they represent. But um, it seems to me like, you know, lately people have been canceling. People have been, you know, going against those who they once followed, you know, calling them sheep herders. And my whole thing has always been, hey, you know, these folks you were praising and following and donating to a couple months ago, if they're sheep, then what does that make you following the sheep, you know, who are being herded? But, um, yeah, go ahead and give us your thought on that. So um, I think you bring up a lot of interesting points, and this is going to get macro. And um, I guess I want to say that when it comes to American politics, I don't think that right now that the election uh, we have in front of us, the general election with Trump and Biden, I pretty much don't see a route for any of these major progressive leftist changes that people want to happen that would do well for um, not only American families, but, you know, stop harm being inflicted on foreigners uh, with America's foreign policy, you know, us being a unipolar power uh, mm -hmm. on this planet. I don't see good outcomes coming from either way, uh, whichever you vote. So I understand that there's this people want to go for a winning team at the moment. Like they want to support a Biden or a Trump because, you know, we live in a two party system. One of them is going to be president. This is more a thing where it's like, how much change do you expect to come from the electoral process? And how much do you think your input in this electoral process matters when it comes forward to, all right, one of those two has the reins of power. Like, are they going to now trust, uh, excuse me, not trust. Are they now going to listen to uh, people that may have come from a more progressive leftist bent and, <clears throat> and excuse me, and, um, and carry out some of the things that would uh, be beneficial. And the reason why I say that Bernie Sanders has been a sheepdog in 2016 and, and 2020, I'm not like shitting on everything that Bernie Sanders is and ever was. I'm just saying, like, objectively speaking, when Bernie Sanders says vote for Hillary and vote for Joe Biden, he's telling you to vote for the lesser evil. And it's the same thing when uh, Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang tell you to do that. And that makes a lot of people upset because they feel like, I mean, I think we have a cult of personality thing, like I said before. I think people don't like hearing that people that they adored or still uh, adore, um, like, like, oh, I was following these people and like they led me astray. They don't want to feel like, like they were on some intellectual journey that led to, you know, an ending that was unsatisfying. But we have a very unsatisfying political dynamic in the U.S. right now. And people need to come to terms with that. We need to come to terms with the fact that in electoral politics, there's only so much that can happen. But right now, the way that 2020 is laid out, you're not going to get the wins that you were fighting for very early in the campaign. Um, it's I, I, I don't I don't see the efficacy of voting for Biden. I'd actually much rather he lose. I'm not going to ever vote for Trump, but I'd much rather Biden lose because this brand <laughs> neoliberal um, Democratic Party politics needs to die. It needs to die faster rather than slower. And um, uh, so when we're talking about those heroes, those Bernie, Tulsi, Yang, Williamson, Chomskys, I mean, what does that make you if you were somebody that put your faith in them and now you don't? You're not like a intellectual cuck or anything. I mean, you know, I was there too. I was, I was hoping that Bernie would keep fighting. I 
man, I, I still have a lot of respect for Tulsi. Mm -hmm. um, and what happened with Tulsi, actually, and we can get into this later, was crazy, too, because it shows you, like, it doesn't matter how good you are, yeah. you know, uh, black, indigenous, woman of, woman of color, like, service, well-spoken, like, where you can be anybody and the media will take you down. So it's like, I, I worry about these kinds of dynamics that are happening more than, like, somebody pressuring me to vote biden because he's marginally better than trump i mean biden is bad and trump is bad but yeah. like i if i have to choose between two evils like Geralt of rivia from witcher i would much rather not choose at all you know no yeah definitely and that is a choice that americans have right i mean what half of the country already makes that choice anyways where they just don't participate in the system at all do you would you say that these figures are no longer fighting or are they no are they just not fighting in the same way that their vigorous progressive base would want them to um it seems to me like a lot of them are still trying to do work with whatever little leverage they have now you have people like uh jimmy Dore and folks say well he's not you know taking advantage of what he could have like he should have not only not dropped out he should have kept pressuring and collecting more delegates so that at the uh, convention he would have more power to yield but you have to also put your position in the other shoes. How would liberals, how would the Pelosi's, the Schumer's react? And not not as important react, how would they counteract that action? That's the more important thing, right? Imagine yourself in a situation where Bernie still kept trying to, you know, uh, scratch away at the DNC. And the image that for them that would, you know, that would portray out to the American people, how that might affect who would obviously win regardless which was you know joe biden at that point so i think that bernie's calculation is and i don't mean to like speculate on what he is thinking but maybe he's saying well this is this these are the cards that i have on the table i have to play what i have you know what would you say to that um i mean if bernie is a politician and he wants to work within the confines of the very narrow overton window that is the political possibilities that the modern democratic party and the modern republican party set the bounds of um that's bernie sanders uh his progressive supporters are people that want to work outside of that box and if bernie wants to come at it from an outside perspective and then like lead everyone more and more into that Overton window. That's the sheepdog dynamic that I was kind of alluding to that right. Bernie Sanders is playing. So you kind of, uh, what would you call it? You woo the girl in with like, you know, your awesome progressive politics. And then what we're playing the Pelosi Schumer games. How much uh, responsibility okay. does this girl have personal responsibility about, um, I mean, did Bernie ever like manipulatively do any actions that you can point to to say, look, he he was telling us and courting us that he would do this. I mean, he always said he would vote for the eventual nominee. He always said that, you know, Joe Biden was his friend. Joe Biden, he's worked with him for a long time. Um, even in this Tara Reid situation, he hasn't brought it up negatively. He said that, you know, Tara needs her space to put out what she needs to put out. Um, so it just seems to me that, uh, you know, I mean, progressives, they seem to be in a uh, in between a rock and a hard place, right? Yeah. Where it's like, okay, we're you're you're done with these kind of figures and believing in you know what they can do, which only hurts them and only hurts the people who they worked hard to 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 gain and galvanize and and, and encourage to get involved, right? So, in other words, 
like you said, there's going to be people who still like those characters, who still are pushing forward and supporting what they're doing within the system and the parameters that we have right now that exist. Mm -hmm. But there are those people who are the louder voices who say, nope, it's time to burn it down. Well, not only do you hurt the movement of those in the reform uh, camp, but you also kind of hurt yourself, right? Because now you have no allies. You have no one inside uh, who's sympathetic, empathetic to what you want to try to accomplish. You've alienated them. And the Republicans will, will never you know, even pay one iota of attention to you at all. I mean, Trump's not going to sit down with uh, Crystal Ball and Jimmy Dore and discuss you know, how to best implement a universal basic income or uh, unveil a Medicare for All plan, right? So what do we do about that? Uh, people need to come to terms with the fact that the modern Democratic Party and the modern Republican Party are actually very close on issues that are more boring but more important. I only say more boring because they're not like as flashy as the stuff that does get the coverage, like impeachment and Russiagate and like you know the things that you see on corporate media about abortion and Colin Kaepernick and socialism. And um, uh, to get off this tangent, though. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, our responsibility as leftists and progressives is to kind of keep our ideas and not put our faith in these people. And that's uncomfortable to hear because we are, yeah, like you said, in, a, in between a rock and a hard place when it comes to American politics and wanting these good things to happen. But if you want to look at the Republican Party and you're just like, they're terrible, they're never going to listen to us, but maybe we have a chance of working within the system with the Tulsi Gabbards and Bernie Sanders that we do have to make positive change. I mean, that's what uh, the girl, us, who have been wooed in by their progressive politics are mad about. What we are mad about is that they do not continue fighting. And yeah, I mean, Angie Yang, Tulsi Gabbard, Bernie Sanders, they are not like, they're not just like failing on purpose. And I acknowledge that they have to work within a system that is so corrupt and so conservative that they are fighting an uphill battle. But can we start fighting the uphill battle and never stop? And at least for prosperity's sake, if change isn't going to happen in our lifetime, in my lifetime, then can we at least like start this fight? And uh, it's frustrating that I feel like we're only allowed to be progressive and we're only allowed to be leftists in America when it comes to the Democratic Party primary. You brought up Pelosi and Schumer before, and we have to remember what kind of politicians these people are. These people out, aren't out here on the front lines, like talking about removing student debt and having a healthcare uh, system where people aren't in debt and getting money out of politics and a universal basic income and getting out of the wars. That's the Democratic Party that we have. In fact, I've taken to calling this dynamic not left or right, not red or blue, but just fast versus slow. And I refuse to just kind of put my heart and soul into, you know, like some Biden supporters. They want to support slow like the slow corporatization and consolidation of, you know, everything in the United States by corporations and the ongoing foreign policy, you know, our, our, our wars, they want that to continue, but just under different rhetoric. Like, they don't actually have a fundamental problem with what the U.S. is. A lot of these Biden supporters, they just don't like Trump. And when Trump wasn't around, they were the same people that were saying that they liked Obama while simultaneously knowing nothing about the guy. Um, so the problems go back uh, much farther than Trump. And yeah, I agree I, there. Yeah, I agree with that. And the last thing that I'll say is I get it. It's super tough. You're a leftist, you're a progressive. You look around and you see, all right, who's fighting for me? Um, most of the politicians are not, but we have these three or four people in media and 
you know, these politicians and like these guys are fighting and then you find out that they're not and you kind of feel like you're left with no ground to stand on. It's an uncomfortable place to be in. I am there. Um, and uh, I mean, come to terms yeah. with the fact that as an American, our politics is just incredibly conservative, incredibly conservative, incredibly focused on war abroad. And, you know, it's been like this for a while. And I mean, I encourage everyone to start media, spread good ideas, talk to the youth and talk to them about war and debt-free college and uh, healthcare and UBI and all these good ideas. Because, I mean, if we're going to start the fight, let it start and continue. But I, I, I am tired of having my political aspirations continuously raised. And then when it comes down to it, it's like, oh, general, all right, leftist progressives, get out. You know, this is only a party. Like, you guys are allowed at the kids' table, but the adults are playing now with our, you know, conservative politics. It's like, well, I, I tend to agree with you. I'm definitely empathetic to that position. And I think that, you know, you bring up a good point about the fast, slow. Um, you know, I want to move on to our next topic. And all I'll say is that, you know, history is riddled with people who, you know, have fought and died saying, well, they weren't just quite ready for it yet, but they will. And, you know, they've made the slow push to get us to where we're at now, right? Anybody who speaks of the civil rights of the past and the fights then, they're speaking from a pay place of privilege, right? So if you want to take the position, oh, they, they were pragmatists and, you know, really they didn't do much. Well, that's a place of privilege. You're speaking from a place of privilege because you're, you know, speaking from a moment that took them every effort that they made for you to enjoy. So I think that I, I lean more on the pragmatist, you know, progressive side where, you know, I want to understand the kind of battle that I'm going into, right? What are what are the dynamics? What are the factors that we're going into? Let's face it, Bernie Sanders was the first real progressive, you know, left-leaning agenda that got to the popularity that it was. And this was coming from a man who's 70 plus years old, right? And when he was uh, when he was young, he had good politics too. I mean, no, uh, yeah, exactly. But um, you know, I think it speaks to the 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 progression that we're making. Still a lot of work to be done, but I wanted to turn the conversation over to uh, this recent uh, tapping by the Biden campaign of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Premier Jayapal, and some other folks uh, who I guess would be more sympathetic, empathetic to progressive ideals. What, what, what can be said about those steps? I mean, are those good steps? Are those bad steps? Are they, you know, not enough? Or, or what's your take on that? Um, I don't know enough about Jayapal, but I would say that AOC, I've heard her say many good things. Um, I've also uh, seen her kind of like at her disappointing, I should say. Like I, she was, uh, I think it was like an MLK. Yeah, it was on MLK Day uh, 2020 where she was at an event with, um, he writes for The Atlantic, um, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Mm -hmm. And she said a lot of good things. And she even echoed my sentiments about the fact that we don't have a left in America. Um, I think that her ideas are, like, some of her ideas are good. And I, I think a lot of her posturing uh, for progressive and leftism is, is just that sometimes. She kind of strikes me as somebody that, yeah, is more progressive than the average American politician. But I think she can occasionally, like, for probably job concerns... Uh, be playing the Democratic Party game a bit too much. Um, Do you I don't feel like her image helps or hurts progressives. Does her image help or hurt? Well, I think that the regardless of how much good press she does for herself, 
the bad press that she gets from outlets like Fox News kind of make the left, uh, the American left, and even the Democratic Party look bad. And I think that that is more powerful than any amount that she can make herself look good. I think she's kind of been, you know, uh, what would you call it, uh, pigeon-held or, you know, uh, scapegoated as, like, this, like, crazy left person when her her most progressive ideas are just sensible. And she still kind of toes the party line, plays those party games with Pelosi and Schumer, um, partly out of uh, career necessity. And that's kind of the problem with a lot of these Democratic progressives, these Democratic Party progressives. They have to play the Pelosi-Schumer game, and that's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, after that, I don't really have too much more to say after, you know, uh, I mean, about types like AOC and like the squad. I think that they are the most progressive of the Democratic Party. And if I could turn the Democratic Party, Congress and Senate into people like those, that would be a good step, but by no means would be like the end goal. I mean, you still have to fight for the best ideas that we talk about in the primary, but... Are soon so what be... would an end goal look like to you? Would that be like a social democracy, like the Nordic model? Oh, man, that is a huge question. Um, when it comes <laughs> to, yeah, uh, this is extremely macro as well. And I mean, I studied American politics and like uh, just being, I'll just say this. I have interesting discussions with my roommate who's pretty bright about uh, American democracy and how it's working right now. And um, without turning this into too big of a conversation, um, we have to kind of wonder if this is the best model for getting the best outcomes for the most people. Um, because right now the two parties are basically two corporations and people are voting what they feel like every two years. But what they feel like, a lot of that comes from TV watching those two years prior. So we're watching TV for two years and then we press a button at the end of the two years and we kind of just do that throughout our lifetimes. And I mean... That's not civic participation. That's watching the TV and pressing a button. And um, we're living more of our lives online. But, and political but, change, and let me just finish this point, political change uh, doesn't just come from electoral victories. Uh, you can see um, many political victories that have been won by activist groups in the past. Uh, it wasn't because they were online having good arguments. And we're moving forward into a future now where we're, we don't organize uh, um outside of the internet and i mean things are only getting more and more in the direction of people staying home and not necessarily fighting for real political victories they're just kind of going for what one party wants and if that is american democracy right now along with our american foreign policy dynamic we have to wonder what is the efficacy of a modern democracy um i mean we're the strongest nation on earth and this is what we look like right now so we have to ask ourselves if we if like if this is the best that the best nation, the most powerful nation can do, I mean, that's a huge question. Like, democracy. Yeah, I, I understand your position. Um, I don't know if I agree, but I, I think that you pointed to something important, right? It, it's, it's the uh, idea and the ability of choice. These people are staying home; they're not willing to participate. Maybe they get courted by certain organizations, but they they just are unwilling. And I think that you know, for better or worse. I'd rather have that because you know I don't want to be forced to do to participate in something that I don't want to participate in, and if Americans choose not to participate, I mean that's on them, right? That's the individual's choice. Yes, yeah. that's that goes to the civil liberties, right? Where um, like forced democracy, I don't even know what that might look like. Um, but you know, speaking on 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 the Biden situation. 
do you think i mean is this even going to help court any progressives i think like biden's campaign at this point you know that they're, they're really more reliant on the uh liberal republican vote or the swing voters they don't seem to me like they're gonna put a lot of work into getting young people i mean young people were already for bernie like mostly 100 percent so and and at this point i don't think anything can convince them so even this like aoc play with jayapal bringing them into this task force right do you, do you think it, you know just from a strategic political perspective from the biden campaign can that help hurt bring anybody in so um i think i think that being a like american like political leftist or progressive it's kind of like a fringe position i'm not saying it's extreme i'm saying it's fringe in the sort of sense where it's like i don't think a lot of people i think most people are like obama democrats and like you know bush trump republicans and um i kind of see i think i'm going to I mean, I'll eat my words if I'm wrong, but I, I can totally see Biden like just going more conservative in the general election. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really interested in American electoral politics. I probably won't be tuned into too much of like the Trump-Biden stuff, mm-hmm. but I will say that I'm, I'm, I predict him kind of like kind of towing a mainstream line, trying to get some conservatives on his side. And I see the election kind of coming down to what's going to win trump rallying his base more and getting him excited about this trumpist uh vision of the gop which a lot of people are excited for for um not just like dumb reasons like uh non-conservatives would think and so there's that there's the trump side and then there's uh the biden side which I, i think the biden side is more like I it's like an orange man bad thing like it's like the orange man bad vote I don't necessarily know what these uh, voters want the most like the average Joe Biden voter not you and I Israel but the average Joe Biden voter they want to pivot to normalcy they want they just don't want to look at Trump anymore they don't have a fundamental understanding of America uh, enough to disagree with some of our fundamental problems I, I think that yeah all right so stepping outside of the electoral politics question does the progressive leftist agenda the more aggressive progressive agenda is it more able to succeed under a normalized quote-unquote environment ecosystem or more of a partisan ecosystem with trump remaining in the office now i should preface that this by saying i I am kind of indifferent. I've been a cons- I was a conservative for a long, long time. I don't buy into the liberal media hysteria that Republicans are going to lead to fascism. Um, but just you know, focusing in on this conservative or progressive ideal, do you not think the environment would be better under kind of, kind of the Democrats? Because we saw what happened with Bush, right? Everybody said, you know, the the, the left agenda is going to be hyper uh, in hyper focus and hyper drive because Bush is a you know quasi-fascist and you know he got us into all these wars i mean trump hasn't done anything like that so you know if bush getting us into two endless wars didn't get the left to where it needed to be what's to say another four years of trump is going to accelerate the process yeah um so bush got us into two wars and obama got us into six or seven depending on how you measure these things um and yeah uh trump spoke with north korea and they had that like stupid twitter thing but you know things got better it led to the summit and 
Um, I'm very happy that we haven't gotten to another war in this administration. Um, I think that's like the low bar for a good president at this point in time when America needs to draw down and use some of those resources, manpower, logistics, food. Like, let's, if we're going to waste money abroad, we might as well waste it internally, is, is something that Ron Paul would say, um, to get to whether or not, uh, to get to the question of whether or not it is a better environment. No. Um, I think this comes down to what I believe. I'm not necessarily saying that you have to believe this, but what I think is, I think it would be a lot better to see this current vision of the Democratic Party be so uninspirational that it loses to Trump when more or less this would have been an easy win uh, if you would have just picked like just some normal progressive where you you are up there against Trump. And you can say, all right, I am not orange man, but also we're going to get debt-free college and healthcare, and we're going to get money out of Paul. Like all these things that people want, well, not that people want, because a lot of people in America don't know about these things, because... But I would say things that would make the country better. If you articulate a positive vision, it's and say orange man bad. It's better than just saying orange man bad. Um, but right. I I would rather this uh, vision of the Democratic Party, where they're offering nothing except respite from orange man. Like, if this is proven to win, then just I mean, think in the future. Like, I, I'm just picturing like more and more elections where. Mm the Republicans and the Democrats, they don't really have to talk about issues. It's just they're, they're changing hands and they don't really have to give Americans health care or, you know, uh, an education without debt. We can just, you know, tell everybody to, I mean, look at what's happening right now with COVID. There's a lot of fundamental changes that are happening in this nation. And it kind of speaks to like a larger corporatization of society, the COVID stuff, but we already have a corporate government. And I mean, we can either move away from that or keep going in that direction. Right now, we're continuously going in that direction. The Democratic Party is not offering you um, respite from a corporate government, a corporate society. They are just, you know, they're just saying that they're not Trump. And that is not, that is not um, inspirational. Like, you're not giving me anything to vote for. Like, the things I mentioned prior, the things that I care about as somebody that wants the U S to end the wars and let's bring those resources back in. Let's be friendlier towards nations. Um, let's, you know, get America's health and education situation better. Let's get money out of politics and make it more about policy and moral and ethical arguments. I mean, you know, it, if we, if we see this as like a game, like the American politics like arena as like you know basketball or something the way that we're playing basketball right now isn't the right way of playing basketball so why am i going to root for either team i mean it's like not the way that we should be playing basketball if i, I gotcha. think of a metaphor like off the top of my head <laughs> no yeah i mean i i can see your position i i, I can definitely understand where you're coming from and it um, seems to be that, kind of an acceleration just to add and i get that that's tough to hear because people want to be like part of a winning team. Oh, I want to defeat Orange Man, or I want Orange Man back in it again because that's my team. And well, that speaks to activism, right? Uh, I don't know if it speaks to activism. I feel like I feel like it's an uncomfortable position to consider that your vote doesn't actually matter because the American project, as mediocre as it's running right now, is only going to keep running that direction no matter who's president in 2021. That's uncomfortable for a lot of people to hear. They like to believe that these elections are incredibly like important i mean we hear it every time that there's an election this is the most important primary actually this well, is the elections are important because they decide who 
is in power and what kind of environment, even if you're a revolutionary, what kind of environment your revolutionary actions can do. That's interesting. I would, um, I would just I, contend that both um, parties, who I see as two corporations, they're so similar that there's an illusion of choice dynamic here. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the, the top of these two parties are definitely similar, right? Speaks to the third way approach, right, where um, they kind of agree on a lot. And, you know, a lot of the disagreements are either cultural or issues that, are, that, that aren't relevant in the sense of, like, who consolidates power or where power is distributed. I mean, all but we have in there's the, also, all we right, have mainstream, sorry to cut you off, all we have in mainstream American politics is mostly cultural and social type arguments. When it comes to economics and foreign policy, uh, we don't have that serious discussion as an American people together. Um, and that serves power. Uh, yeah. Right, but that's the thing is that there's also the the folks who are regular American citizens who belong to these two parties, right? So I would say that not all, there's also similarities there amongst Republican working class Americans and Democratic working class Americans, leftists, progressives, uh, you know, uh, alt writers. There's agreement amongst these people because these are average people. These are people who go to work, deliver the packages, do all of this. You know, so I don't I I look at the glass half full. I think that we can do something to counteract these two elites groups who are coming together and creating this one quasi party. So I I just I just feel like there's solutions there and activism organizing and, you know, having these discussions. That's important. And it all and it moves the it moves the needle. You know, it doesn't move it quite as fast as some on the, uh, uh, you know, fringes wanted to. But. I think it definitely moves. Israel, I think that what you and I are doing is, like, this is more important than our one vote every two years. Like, I mean, I don't have a huge audience. I mostly just put out videos every single day. That's how my channel's monetized. I kind of use um, mass instead of, like, density, working really hard on one project. Um, That's just my approach. Um, But you can do, you can take your approach to spreading ideas however way is most conducive to your lifestyle i mean israel you have your workflow i have my workflow but Mm -hmm. spread good ideas have interesting conversations show people that there's an alternative to american corporate media which is telling us the same shit every single year and nothing changes and when we see that things could change it's a teaser it gets us into the stadium just so that we can watch people not play basketball it's like you know, I, I hope that our audience is following what I'm saying. It's like I am I'm not like just like saying doom and gloom because your vote doesn't matter. I mean, I am saying your vote doesn't matter in this kind of a system where it's like Biden versus Trump, like, you know, your vote really doesn't kinda of matter in my opinion. Um, but you don't have to just depend on electoral politics. I was having this discussion with uh maybe you know who this is, uh Joshua of New Progressive Voice mm-hmm. and we kept talking about like kind of this Trump Biden question and one of the hangups that I had is like it keeps coming down to like yeah but how will progressives win like elections in the future and it's like it's not about like having like this I mean it'd be nice but we're just not there like again we keep starting these fights for leftists for progressive politics and then we just usher out the fight at the end of the primary, it's not a fight that continues um, in in the American political sphere with our politicians. They well, just- let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because, you know, even outside of the political sphere, 
a lot of the people who advocate for those types of positions or this kind of idea, they don't lead by example. The Hills, the Rising is still a corporatized entity that has to uh, care about its bottom line. Right? It's got sure. CEOs, it's got a board of directors, and I'm willing to bet that a lot of these companies or a lot of these commentators who have bigger audiences, they probably didn't structure themselves as a co-op. I'm pretty sure they're sole proprietorship, so they're, they're unable to even operate outside of a capitalistic system that they're so anti. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, how are regular Americans going to believe leftists when even when they participate in something such so crucial as an economic uh, an economic event like running an organization, running a business, they're yeah. unwilling to step outside the circle that they so criticize to structure themselves and be the leaders in that. Um, I mean, I kind of see that as kind of easy. We're in such a corporate um, system that you have no choice but to work within the confines of the system in order to try to affect change. It kind of makes you wonder if it's even possible to affect change in a system like this. I look at what the Hill Rising is doing, and yeah, they're making money, but it's not about just, like, I don't think that you have to be, like, poor to be most moral and ethical, but I also, I also don't think it's the responsibility of, you know, people like Tulsi Gabbard, who, ha- like, one of the reasons why I still like Tulsi Gabbard is because she did her best. I didn't agree with some of her decisions at the end of her campaign, but these people all have to work within a American system, and it's about spreading ideas to the point where in the future, um, maybe uh, these ideas are just you know more prevalent in society. But I 100% get what you're saying, but I think that's mm-hmm. more of an American societal critique that leftists are always at a, um, what would you call it? We're always fighting an advantage. Like there's never, there is no political space in America where you are a leftist, you are a progressive, and it's just about ideas, ethics, morality. All right, let's argue this out. That is a societal critique. That's not something that you should shit on Crystal Ball, Sagar and Jetty, um, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, um, all these people on. Cause, and, and I'm not justifying the system. I'm saying it's unfortunate that we have to work within the system. But it's like yeah. you want to fight for your ideas and ethics, that's one thing. But if you're saying that hey it's unviable because we're so corporate maybe we'll never win maybe we should change that's abandoning the idea and you're kind of going for like a well what's the way of putting this i think that the fight is still worth it to fight as a leftist as a progressive within the system um and figuring out how it gets better by working within the system and just like figuring out tactics um I might be confusing right now. No, it's okay. No, that's what I was trying to say is just that, you know. I'll just close by saying this. I think it's more about spreading the ideas to people. Um, Mm -hmm. Like Crystal Ball and Sagar and Jetty and everybody, like people like us, we can only do so much on our own, but ideas spread. I mean, the Democratic Party religion, the Republican Party religion are ideas that have spread. And how are they spreading? They're spreading through media. That's why I'm saying, like, I think the fight is spreading the ideas uh, rather than just voting. And to the extent that we have politicians that fight for those ideas, fight for those politicians until they renege on their promise to keep fighting for you. Well, that's kind of what my point was, is that, you know, we're able to see that, like, well, we need to fight within the system to change it. 
but we're so quick to criticize you know some of the people who i was alluding to like oh this cancel idea of like now they're working with biden now they're working with this i'm not saying it's like it's just to me it's no different than you know the jimmy Dore show becoming an llc and not being able to structure itself as a worker co-op that you know uh shares the benefits of the means of production at the at the jimmy Dore show so to me it's kind of like you guys understand that when it comes to business and structuring what you do but you know you go after packs you go after this and 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 immoral and this is that um so i I don't see how they're able to kind of justify that double standard personally but i would agree with your ultimate analysis that you know you gotta do what you gotta do to fight within the system to get it to make it better and eventually hopefully change it to something that's more efficient for people yeah and i don't i'm not necessarily like the person that's like fighting for worker co-ops or anything like that um i mean this no, is I, I, yeah, I don't i don't mean to like, make this you that <laughs> this is just like a random aside but like i kind of see like um capitalism as like a sort of kind of creation engine and socialism is a sort of sharing agent and mm-hmm. i mean it's like a coin flip and they have to be in balance and oh 100 percent, i agree if you i think if you do like the excess of either then you lead to bad incentives on the excessive socialism 100 percent um, agree yep Front, but also bad incentives on the um, uh, excessive capitalism front. I mean, we have an excessive uh, capitalist uh, government, and many of the excesses that we're seeing are kind of capitalism run amok. I mean, money in politics, what we talked about before, how corporations like own our politicians. Mm-hmm. That is a dynamic that, I mean, you can blame, uh, so I'll, I'll cover for them a little bit, yeah, I don't like some of the positions that some of these progressives took, Tulsi, Bernie, Yang, Marion Williamson, Chomsky, when they say vote for Biden. Um, but it's tough because they have to work within the system. And so I I get you, but mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to spread these ideas, and they're not prevalent right now. So I think the fight is just spreading the, these ideas. And I just hate when you bring me in with ideas that I spread, and then we're like kind of pivoting to the non-basketball that I was alluding to earlier with where it's like, you know, yeah, now we're, now we're fighting for this or now we're just kind of incrementally reducing what the original idea was and just fighting for this small thing. They just want your vote. They're not going to like <laughs> see you after the election. Like they're going to, you know, I mean, Obama did the kind of the same thing. Uh, Obama, a lot of people had a lot of high aspirations for Obama, but there are tons of people that when he came to his reelection, they were like, no way we saw what this guy did. Like, this guy was coming in like he was a progressive, and he wasn't. Um, and, you know, it's tough being an American progressive and leftist. I mean, that could be like the title for this video. Um, <laughs> and I get that it's an it's in, it's a, it's, um, a uncomfortable conversation. I mean, I advocate to people to start channels and, uh, you know, spread these ideas, uh, not only to just have better ideas in, 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 um, in the atmosphere, but you meet people like, uh, this is our first time talking uh, to our audience. Like, uh, me and Israel are not boys that go way back. You know, you meet people that have the same ideas as you, or you know, at least some points where you can talk, and you realize how similar we are. Like the media and the the corporate media, the way it portrays Americans and it being this like red versus blue, left versus right dynamic, it's an illusion. And mm-hmm. these are ideas that are fighting against our ideas, and our ideas are smaller, but they can spread because the. I mean, it only makes sense that if a Democratic Party religion or a Republican Party religion 
as an idea can spread, then our ideas can spread too. So it's just the means of spreading it. And I agree with you on that. You, yeah. you don't spread your ideas by voting. You're just an input in a system. So that's why I was getting frustrated with Josh of New Progressive Voice because it's like, why are you so worried about the button pressing? You know, like mm. these people aren't fighting for my idea anymore. So I'm not supporting them. I'm not actively pushing Trump into a seat of power and making our country worse because Trump might win because I'm not supporting him. I don't know. This is like this vote shaming stuff too. It's, it's another <laughs> goalpost. Move. I think the problem is like what, what the vote causes, right? The, the causal effect after pushing that button, as you said. So in other words, the NLRB speaking about, you know, the working class unions and things like that. So, you know, how different would the NLRB chose, cho- choices be from a republican to a democrat right democrat leaning more towards maybe more sympathetic empathetic to uh, the national labor relations act or national labor relations board these are the people who decide you know uh the the union disputes with their companies so on and so forth right so just like positions Uh, mm -hmm. yeah um sorry i I cut you off Uh, what was your question no it's just like I, I was just saying that I think that that's kind of where Josh is, Josh is coming from, where it's like, um, you know, they, they carry uh, actions. So whoever you put into that, oh, that's that that would be kind of my argument for electoral like the, the button pushing. It's just that it does create an environment, right? You're, you're kind of if you're participating in it, you're helping cultivate this environment. And if you're not participating in it in a way, you're also kind of helping shape this environment so um you know and that could look in many different ways in the court in the nlrb like i was alluding to it could you know in the school board so you know the way schools are structured what kind of books get in there philosophical marxian books maybe i don't know or books that you're more sympathetic to right maybe they start getting axed because there's more of a you know business-centered focused uh conservative in the office than one who would be empathetic to like the studies of philosophy, the studies of, you know, the, you know, you, you name it, things that, things that you or somebody in, in your position saying. may be interested in. I mean, my, so my, because I do not actively support incrementalism, some people can see that as, I mean, you brought up the term accelerationism mm-hmm. and that's why I was saying like, this is more of a slow versus fast thing. I don't think that the democratic party, like, when they're like, you know, talking with each other, like, oh, so what do you think in a hundred years, if we have like a hundred years of Democratic Party politics, what could we do? And then they're talking about the ideas that like you and I might find interesting. I don't think that they are fighting for those ideas anyways. And yeah, I mean, I always admit that like the Republican Party is like marginally worse than the Democrats. But I mean, whose fault is it that the Democrats do not provide a coherent contrast to the republican party right Um, there's some responsibility there yeah it's it's like you can't like it's not my responsibility to make sure that society gets better as a voter and it's like if neither party is working for society to get better then why is the onus on me like to make uh, let me rephrase this so it's like my vote is all of a sudden so important so that the country isn't made for I'm going to pause here for I'm going to pause yeah. here for a second. Give me one second. Um, my vote is like this ever important thing for our country not getting worse because I'm going to be the one that makes Trump get elected, but it's like neither party's working to make the like to make the country better. So it's like 
I mean, yeah, when it comes to electoral politics and people seeing this as like what sets the environment for things to get better incrementally, um, I mean, you can fight for incremental change, but like that, that's not really like what, I, I don't think that that's how things change. I don't think that like, Pelosi has like this 100 year plan of how we would get to like progressive utopia if Democrats just had, you know, power for 100 years. I don't actually think these people are like that. Um, they've proven time and time again with their economic and foreign policy priorities that when it comes to the Republicans, they're more or less the same. Um, so, uh, yeah, I know that that's kind of a lot there. No, I agree. I agree with uh, most of what you said there because it's not just electing these officials that will, you know, make. The small like would be uh, insignificantly different or at the very least just a little different than a Republicans I think uh, the grander point is you know you right, whether it's a Republican in office uh, administration whether it's a Democratic one you still have to you don't stop you still have to keep pushing your what you would like to see the country be you know and that's why it's a not it's a never ending fight it's just you're always putting pressure to ensure that those that you've voted for, those that you've, uh, you know, decided to uh, put your efforts into, are mm -hmm. doing and acting in the way that you want. And if it's small change and small victories, then you celebrate those and you keep going. Um, and I think we, c I hope we can both agree on that. Because I do want to move on to the final topic here, but uh, yeah, sure. I'll let you have your, the yeah, last I, word on that. Yeah, the last thing that I'll say on this topic is I just want to reiterate that it's super important what you and I are doing. I mean, I am not large and i mean it takes up some time but you know i'll take that on the chin but it's important to spread these ideas and if our audience is listening like do what you can like start a youtube channel uh israel and i did uh keep talking to people have brave conversations when people are talking about stuff that's happening in corporate media remember to bring up war remember to bring up like education and healthcare in the u.s and how we still don't have a debt-free situation there and you know, ideas that Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang talked about. Universal basic income is huge. Uh, no regime change wars is a game changer. And if we're not talking about that, then we're not talking about much, to be quite honest. Because, I mean, I, I think the bigger things uh, set the tone for, like, kind of these smaller things, like such as, like, the books that the NLRB will put on the shelves of, uh, I, I, I don't know, like, that, that, kind of, <laughs> that kind of stuff comes after the huge cultural shifts. Uh, but yeah, mm. uh, that's my last word. So, okay. Um, you know, I wanted to bring on one last topic uh, and we can wrap on this, which is, um, you know, this whole situation that we find ourselves in, right? This pandemic has really uh, ramped up the acceleration a little bit. I mean, you've got a Republican administration passing, you know, stimulus checks. That's crazy. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, nobody ever would have thought that they would have been willing to come to the table for that. And now they're talking about more stimulus checks to come. I know that, you know, <laughs> this, the, these these solutions that come out of Washington, D.C. don't make anybody happy. I understand that because they're they never meet the expectations of whoever. But it does speak to a louder move, right, for for some kind of universal basic income. Now, there's folks on the left, and this is kind of what I want to uh, ask you, that look at universal basic income as a possible trojan horse for corporations uh, and the and the corporatization of the states and there's others who say no this is a vehicle for change and good because it puts consumers it gives consumers power and it gives people more time and, and so on and so forth 
what what is your where do you land on that? I know just being like from the Yang, you know, uh, campaign, but wh- where is your like deeper position? All right, so um, I'm going to ignore the COVID stuff for now because mm-hmm. that is a huge conversation. Um, I'm just going to refer our audience to Jimmy Dore and Dylan Radigan. They have something that they call a Corona Money Talk, and it talks it talks about how society is fundamentally changing on a financial side and you know, the kind of downstream effects that, uh, that pushes onto American society as a whole. Um, so the COVID is huge. Uh, that warrants its own video. And um, I, I guess just a final thing about that is there, there are things that will also kill you other than COVID. And I think that we are ignoring some of like the fact that people have livelihoods that are at stake. And, you know, Absolutely. there's... A- there's already things like obesity that the United States has done a bad job on. And when it comes to health and fitness, we are currently in the midst of an obesity crisis. Um, this is actually something that I, like, if I was president, I would talk about this more often because what, what is a society at the end of the day? It's, it's people. The people are the lifeblood. So that's why I put such an emphasis on education and healthcare. care. Um, and I think a lot of our health care is the way that is because of obesity and our immune systems and yeah, you can get killed by COVID because you're unhealthy, but America is a very uniquely unhealthy society. Um, I went a little bit longer. That's a good point, actually. No, that's a great point. Nobody's ever really brought that up. Um, and it speaks to the psyche of the country, the participation levels, because when you're, you know, your body's running and, and, and operating at a healthy level and you feel good and you exercise, you're more active. And so that could translate into not only, you know, I, I, uh, talking ideas and being active in that space, but physically being active in electoral politics and other things like that. That's excellent. Um, but just more towards like the UBI, uh, you know, thing. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, the, the meat vehicle, like it, it, you want to max it out. Uh, I just oh, want to, sure. <laughs> and it, it has, it has brain, it has brain stuff going on too. Like a healthy body is smarter. Um, but yeah, to the UBI stuff, uh, segue uh if you well you know who tends to eat healthier it tends to be people that have more discretionary income they tend to spend money not on like food that they like buy a lot of because it's you know they can get a lot of it but it's not necessarily that healthy i mean it's just the society that we live in some of the healthier point some of the healthier stuff costs more money and what are the three things that americans spend most of their money on it's food transportation and housing um, the more of a percentage of your total income that is spent on those three things, the less actual life you're living. So if you're working all the time and then all of your money goes into food transportation and housing, you're what some people would call a wage slave. Um, so uh, not like you are a slave on a plantation, but you're kind of a slave to your job. And that's why I was referring to earlier with COVID. If you don't have a job, then you, you are... So you're a wage slave because you're kind of a slave to those wages that you need. But if you don't have the job, it's like now you don't have the money. So you're going to pay the effects of not having that wage. A UBI is obviously just um, it, it, uh, it makes the floor. So if there's a, you know, like the ceiling is Jeff Bezos and like the bottom is basically being homeless in the United States, it would make the floor higher. Like you're homeless, but you have something coming in. Um, uh, and that's so, kind of the argument for minimum wage, is it not? Uh, I, I don't want to get into that because my arguments aren't as fresh on the minimum wage question. But I will just say that Andrew Yang's campaign, and um, I will give credit where it's due to Scott Santon's more mm-hmm. so than Andrew Yang because he's continued that fight um, 
more so than Andrew Yang has, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, less um, recognition. Although Andrew Yang has done a great job of pushing it um, into the psyche of American minds, so actually not to compare the two. They've both done a good job of pushing yeah. the idea in the world, even. Oh, um, yeah, it's idea and marketing. You know, you yeah, put those two together Spain, and you've got a winning thing. Spain, Spain is going to start out their UBI. Yes. We'll get to see that work. I mean, one of the easiest things you can do is give money to people. One of the easiest government programs to stop is stop giving money to people. It's a very easy thing, and it's like you can see if it has good effects. And for all intents and purposes, uh, I look at some of the indicators that Andrew Yang was bringing up in his campaign that got me extremely excited. I started a YouTube channel, uh, and he was pointing out how there are indicators that we are paying attention to, like, gdp and all the stuff but we're not worried about right, stock what, growth yeah like stupid shit i mean like tons of like tons of people do not own stocks or actually mm-hmm. a better way of putting it is over 85 percent of the stocks are owned by like the top i'm gonna say 10 percent to be yep, it is i think it's 10 percent yeah um I not only that say, but they also manipulate it businesses manipulate it all the time to hide their uh their discrepancies I own some stock and I, I pay attention to the stock market uh, quite frequently. Um, I have a bachelor's in economics and my master's is in politics, but uh, the market is so high right now for kind of the realities that are being reflected in the United States. The stock market is in the United States, or at least the one that we participate in. And I see it as very, I mean, you can take a look at the stock market and there's definitely like a dip, like a down period, but for all of the let's just say bad stuff that has happened in this nation, I feel like the stock market is way too optimistic right now. So it kind of shows you that it's kind of like a barometer for how rich people think, uh, how things are going for rich people. Um, but it does not reflect uh, underlying economic realities like the ones that Andrew Yang was pointing out, where he talks about suicide rates, uh, reported happiness levels, um, free time, shit, uh, uh, health, like the obesity thing that we were talking about. Mm. UBI, I think... It's just so easy to implement and so easy to take away. It's just like, just try it, America. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like we're doing anything else. All we do these days is war. So when I see people, like, making arguments that it's like, oh, you're just giving lazy people money, this is socialism, it ignores the corporate socialism that has occurred in 2007 and 2008 when we bailed out, like, all those people. Also, you know, the COVID bailouts that went out, uh, $5 trillion. Right, to- some entertainment industries, all kinds of, like, car- carnival cruises. Things that were like trillion, trillion yeah. dollars, five trillion dollars to the stock market, to Wall Street, to corporations is no small penny. So uh, you brought up the, the stimulus um, checks that mm-hmm. went out to people. Twelve hundred dollars for every American once pales in comparison to the corporate socialism that was given to these higher up players. Right. Again, uh, Dylan Radigan and Jimmy Dore talk about this in a fashion way better than I could. Yeah, and like, I think, uh, you know. We should also mention the MMT, right? Modern Monetary Theory. Uh, I think we uh, that definitely connects to this because you know it's the idea that you know as long as we believe in our money, then I mean you have to worry about inflation. But this whole debt uh, crisis or you know the the the, the deficit thing, uh, it, it's kind of been seen now as like a, a complete like farce to me like you know i'm sure that the deficit and the debt are important but you know if we're throwing five trillion like you said where you know what's going on here so i mean again the lifeblood of a nation is its people uh i think that if we focus on the economic concept of uh what would you call it specialization 
the government does a lot and it's arguable that it doesn't really need to do so much and it could just give people money and expropriate the planning that the government does with all of their you know end result policies and just give people the means of doing whatever they want to do anyways and you know have them have that autonomy that personal autonomy to make their own life better and whatever means that they see fit and it's not like $1,200 is going to make a lot of people rich or anything like that. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's going to be uh, maybe like, what would you call it? You're going to be winning back some of the losses that workers have had. because right, from consumption too. We've seen, we've seen like labor relations. I mean, the, la- the major labor organizations have been co-opted by corporations. Workers have been losing as it relates to like that labor organized kind mm-hmm. of. Um, organized labor front organized labor has completely lost uh their government has completely abandoned them i mean the democrats have abandoned them and the republicans have been actively like fighting them for a very long time um and i mean ubi could be another front like instead of hoping that organized labor comes back with full force again just give people the money and expropriate all of that government technocratic thinking into all of our lives and just let every individual adult do what they see fit with more i mean have you ever seen that movie Time with Justin Timberlake? It's not like that great of a movie, but it's it's fine. It's a decent movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. The concept is so cool because it's like you work for time, and when you run out of time, you die. I, I think we're kind of living in that kind of society. And That's I'm, true. I mean, thankfully, my family is like I'm by no means like rich. I'm probably like high, low class or like low middle class. But you know, like there are tons of people that are just like working and. Like, life isn't just about work, and universal basic income, It, I think some of the more interesting arguments about it aren't economic, but are actually fundamental in speaking to what it is to be human. Like Not only that, but to health. I mean, it seems like you're making the case for just a healthy society all around, the body, the mind, yeah, um, and the and spirit, you know, just like uh, getting it, into communities, being involved more, having that opportunity. Yeah, it comes full circle. Uh, I... Man, thank you, Israel. You reminded me of the point that I was trying to finish with government specialization. Uh, so yeah, expropriate uh, some government policy thinking to individuals in their own communities with, you know, in totality, these communities are basically getting a group stimulus. So that community will grow in the direction that is right for that community. And all the other communities will do the same. You don't Instead have of that government have- bureaucracy deciding. Exactly. So when we and now we think about the health and education thing that i mentioned before if government just focus on making its citizens as healthy and as educated as possible um that would also lead to better lives and we need resources to do all this stuff but we're using all these resources to shoot foreigners abroad and i do not speak for the whole military i'm just speaking for my personal opinion um what i'm what i see the u.s doing right now is fucking retarded and it's stupid and i I look at what my nation's doing and I don't feel bad talking about it. Like I don't see myself as like anti-American. I wish that my country would get better and I see that we have so much capacity and we're using the capacity in like the complete wrong way. And it's unfortunate because all these things have downstream effects that make people live um, uh, shorter lifespans. Um, So again, like, I mean, we probably talked about everything today, but there's there's a macro conversation to be had here about the fact that when it comes to cutting not just domestic, but foreign lives short. Um, America has kind of maximized for some of that, like some of the stuff that makes people's lives less healthy, um, less enjoyable, shorter abroad and here. 
we could be taking those steps in the opposite direction and making people smarter, healthier, uh, healthier, and uh, solving poverty all around the nation. I mean, with 800 uh, foreign military bases, you're telling me that we can't, like, internally, like, not worrying about any security concerns because it's our country. You're telling me that we can't have, you know, the people that are soldiers right now, um, people like myself, we're, we're just going around and instead of, you know, dealing you know, trying to install democracy in this place that is like, you know, in places where it's not organic, so the community's not going to take hold of it anyways. We, we can't even do community policing uh, well in the United States. You're telling me that we can't work towards kind of the parts of the U.S. that could use working on? I mean, Flint still has dirty water. Uh, we have communities that don't trust the police. We can work on all that stuff like here. The stuff that yeah. we're broad is just a waste of our capacity. And, and I appreciate the fact that you're able to kind of distinguish those two entities, right? The soldiers who are working for a wage, the soldiers who have been driven to that position because oftentimes they come from places of poverty, uh, places that they're trying to, uh, you know, improve their lives. So they're trying to run away from or get away from, or if the anything, majority, just move up. The majority since I, cause I mean, I'm interested in politics. I've asked people, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just mean to say like, I've asked tons of people like, why'd you join? I mean, the majority it's economic concerns. Um, right. and that's, that's a good way to put it. Economic concerns. The military. Um, and so, I keep cutting you off. I'm so no, sorry. No, no, no. I just wanted to ask one more thing. Uh, I feel like the left sometimes, uh, and this will be my last question. The left sometimes does that, right? Where it's unable to distinguish those two and say, "Oh, there's economic reasons why you know this Amazon worker is peddling Bezos' riches." Well, there's also the same argument for military members, right? And we can delineate, like we can distinguish those and say, "Okay, you know, I can criticize uh, certain military strategies, certain like military funding, and all sorts of stuff." But at the end of the day, I'm not going to I'm not going to like, you know, in, in any way dishonor or, you know, critique our soldiers or sailors. Uh, yeah, all of them, uh, the airmen, the Marines, the soldiers, right. the sailors. Uh, I mean, so, uh, yeah, tons of people, I mean, they're just people like us. Like I'm almost 30. I've met like tons of younger people. These are just people that are also trying to make their way through life. These aren't people that have like, you know. They, they sign up and they know America's foreign policy 100% and they agree with this like violent direction and they're like, sign me up. Um, I was talking to an RT reporter recently and they were surprised that I said that actually like tons of people um, in the military, and again, I'm speaking for myself, uh, I don't want to get into like weird territory here, but mm-hmm. tons of people that I've spoken to, they like look like the wars and stuff and they're like, yeah, we could probably be like doing something better with all this like might and power that we have instead of like, you know, being in Iraq and Afghanistan for 20 years with nothing to show for it. Um, meanwhile, we criticize Russia and China for everything that's run, that's wrong with this nation. Um, but yeah, distinguishing between soldiers and uh, the foreign policy apparatus of the United States is extremely important because tons of these people are just people trying to make a living. Uh, I will close by saying the Military Times in 2019, they released a report where they met their enlistment um, quotas, but they kind of like over met the quotas. And the, it was it was funny because the report kind of read as like an indictment of the modern American economy. It was like, oh, well, we think the reasons why people join the military are because they will get student loan forgiveness, they get health care, they have retirement, blah, 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 all these good reasons. We're also seeing that these types of jobs are less available in the current modern economy because, you know, things are moving more towards a contractor situation instead of uh, employed uh, tenured workers with benefits. So um, it reads like an indictment of the modern American economy, so much so to the fact that the economic proposition 
of joining the military is only getting higher and higher because this is a society where I mean we're getting to a point where the only the only people we treat well are the soldiers. So people are just like, well, I guess if only I'm- the rest of the Americans can get what the soldiers get, huh? Tricare, housing. <laughs> uh, I mean that's a video on its own, but uh, no, yeah, yeah okay. just being in the service. There's like there's tons of very pro family things that the military does, and like for the individual and their family that is separate from the foreign policy stuff, which I do not like. But as an organization, uh, there are some things that we do here that if we did it for Very the country, yeah. it would just do the same thing, but there'd be some people calling it socialism. I mean, if it's socialism when it's like outside, but when it's in the military, it's not socialism. It's like you have to think that we're we're kind of picking winners and losers and we're like, we're being intellectually dishonest with oh, what yeah. priorities are as a civilization. Um, if, if soldiers, sailors, Marines, uh, airmen and women can reap benefits from serving a corrupt project, why can't we, why can't the corrupt project just turn into doing good? And why can't we do the same things that we do for uh, our service members for the rest of the country and, you know, corporations that are doing their own things, like offer those same kind of benefits and, um, and yeah, yeah, healthcare, oh, yeah. healthcare education, UBI. These are these are things that it would be awesome if the government focused on, but we're not focusing on any of those three things or the war stuff. All right, thank you so much, man, for joining me. I think uh, we've had a pretty fruitful conversation here on these topics that we discussed, and hopefully everybody, uh, you know, enjoyed the conversation. Why don't you let people know where they can find you on like Twitter and on uh, YouTube and all that? Hey, uh, Israel, I had a blast. Um, this is the first time we've spoken, uh, folks, uh, if you guys are listening. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. This is a weekend and a lovely part of my weekend. You can find me at my channel at SSC. You can follow me on Twitter, although I'm not as active these days because I'm uh, kind of just like reading and doing stuff like that. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter at SSC with none of those spaces. Um, and yeah, like subscribe, PayPal, Patreon to this channel and mine if you feel like it as well. <laughs> awesome thank you again so much uh and thank you everybody for watching don't forget to smash the like button on the video if you enjoyed it and consider subscribing to the channel peace out